Well done. That kind of felt like the lunchroom at school. You know, when you walk by and someone spills the tray, why is it that everyone cheers? Like you just did something impressive by spilling all your food on the floor. I don't know. All right. I am here to give you announcements, and I have a bunch of them because, you know, we've been holding off a long time. We have a rule here. We get through Thanksgiving before we talk about Christmas. So we have had Thanksgiving. Yeah. How is your turkey, everybody? This is the one time you can say the word. Was it moist? I hope your turkey was moist, those of you that are watching it. Juicy's good, too. Juicy's good, but cake and turkey, those should be moist. It's the only thing that should cake. Yep, move along, move along. My daughter called it. Please, Mom, fast forward your thoughts onto what you're supposed to be talking about. In Christmas, it is the season of... Um, family, friends, being together. And I know for some of you, your lists are larger than life of all the bucket list items that you want to do. Um, and that can be hard, which is why I love what we're heading into as Jason speaks this morning and talking about rest a little bit. And maybe as part of your family rhythm, you want to do family advent together. Now, this is not just for Brookview kids. This is if you have grandkids, you can grab one of these pieces of paper and basically there's 25 things you do not have, or 24 things. You don't have to do them all, but it just has little activities that you can do together that remind us of what the Christmas season is about. It's about Jesus and the gift of that he is to us. And taking time to pause on that as a, as a family is a really beautiful thing that we can do. So we want to equip you to be able to do that if that's a desire that you have. Um, and so those will be at the welcome table at the back of church this morning. They're also in the kids' church area. And if you're not here today, but you're watching online, those will be available all through the month of December, and you can grab those. Um, Christmas is also a big time where we shift into our partnerships that we have with Vision House and Cedar Way. Um, oh, Christmas service. Yeah, I'm super excited about that, you guys. On December 18th, um, we are going to do outdoor Christmas here in the parking lot from 6 to 8 p.m. We will have a rain plan. We have been blessed over the last few years to have gorgeous weather the day of our event, and so we haven't had to move indoors. Um, but we are excited to celebrate Christmas with you on that Sunday evening that will be in lieu of our Christmas morning, or the Sunday morning service at 1030. So the only thing we'll be doing on the 18th is gathering together. It's time for the kids' church lesson to start. <laughs> I have to set alarms for myself. Okay, whoa, focus. Um, so the 18th, we're going to gather here. We will have fire pits and s'mores and a photo booth and um, crafts for the kids. And it is just a really cool thing that you can do together as a family, but also to bring people to that maybe would feel pretty uncomfortable walking in the doors of a church. Maybe they would like to come and do Christmas with us and realize, hey, we're normal people, not the ones you hear about all the time. Um, so please come to that. And then on Christmas morning, as well as New Year's Day, 
we are going to basically go out into the world and we want to encourage you to gather together within your spheres of influence. Maybe that's your family. Maybe it is someone who doesn't have family to be with and you can connect with them. And we are going to go and be the church instead of gathering inside of this building. And so we just encourage you to be thoughtful about how you might be able to do that with a break in your schedule from our regular morning gathering on Christmas morning as well as New Year's day and then we will be back together and excited to be together. Jason's usually like ready to bring it on January 8th. Um, So yes, now I'm talking about our partnerships with Vision House and Cedar Way. This month um, we have some extra things that we're collecting for Cedar Way. Um, We put together little stockings for them to just kind of help them as families that are struggling maybe fill their own stockings at home. Um, And so if you are interested in getting that list of items that we need, it's in addition to all the produce and the diapers and the wipes that we give to Vision House and to Cedar Way. We have things like Christmas candy, Um, lotion, that sort of stuff um, to be able to give to them. So that list, you can get it by texting the word helping to our Brookview number. Also, Vision House has connected with us and said, um, we are the main people that stock their resident store. And they like their residents to be able to do a little bit of Christmas shopping for each other in their families. So the kids get to come in and pick out something that mom and dad had already picked out ahead of time. Um, And then as well, they have a resource room where they want some parenting books and just books that they can give to the kids. And so there are two different Amazon wish lists for those. And if you text the word Amazon to our Brookview number, those lists will automatically be forwarded to you. And when you check out with that, if you shop for something and put that in your cart and you check out, you can send that directly to Vision House. So you don't need to be bringing it here to the church. That will go to them. And what I would say is just be mindful of that getting to them prior to Christmas. Um, And that would probably be the week before is when you would want to do that. So if you're interested in that, again, text the word Amazon to the Brookview number. You'll get that list. Um, If you don't like to text and that just feels like too techie for you, you can always email brookviewchurchbriar at gmail.com, and then I will push that list to you um, as well. Also, we have our gift card drive in December, in January. Those are also for Cedarway and for Vision House. And sometimes you'll get gift cards from an employer or something that you think that you won't use or you just have that emergency pile and at the end of the season you realize you didn't use it or you just want to be generous and buy a grocery card or a gas card or something like that. We will have a basket beginning next week out in the foyer that you can drop those off in, and we will forward those to them. And we do that through January, so our delivery doesn't go to them until mid-January, and that just kind of helps them out, because oftentimes they have spent extra money on their kids for Christmas, special meals, that sort of thing, and this just kind of helps to replenish them um, come January. I did it. You guys, we love hearing from you. We love hearing from you at home. Hi, Shane and Christy. I got your text this morning. We're glad you're watching online and all of you that are watching online. Um, But we love hearing from you. If you fill out your communication card um, online at brookviewchurch.com, we love 
love to hear from you. We love praying for you. We love hearing what's going on in your lives. So pretty please go online and fill that out. you guys to clear your mind for a second you ready just like clear your mind and I want you to travel with me imagine that in the middle of the week this next week you wake up to go to work as usual so the alarm goes off you feel a groggy haze you, you want to hit snooze but you can't afford to be late the warm sheets are calling you like a siren but you resist the urge to roll back over. You, you fight your way out of bed, and as you make your way to the shower, your, your mind is flooded with all of the stress of work and of life, and you think, oh man, here I go again. But as you pass by the window, brightness from outside catches your eye because the, the light is reflecting off of, and you, you can't believe it, a sheet of snow. It's beautiful. And so you stand at the window and just stare. And as you gaze at the white stillness, you realize this is exactly what the doctor ordered. A snow day. So you call into work and then you crawl right back into bed. And you find that it is the most peaceful sleep that you've had in a long time. You let go of anxiety about work and anxiety about life, and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to get up until, get this, I feel like it. <laughs> and when you wake up and you feel like getting out of bed, you, you do, and immediately you think of all kinds of things you should do, right? Chores, housework, reports for work. But you say to yourself, you know what, this is a free day, dang it. I'm not going to do any of the stuff I should do. I'm only going to do stuff I want to do. And you know what else? I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And that's exactly what you do all day. You, you grab the kids and call some friends and you go and you play in the snow and it's incredible and snow angels and snowmen and, 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 and sledding and normally you sit at a desk all day and so, so you find that your body feels alive and after a few hours, you've had enough. And so when you feel like it, you go into the house and you grab the kids and you have hot chocolate with, with everybody you're hanging out with. In the afternoon, when the kids are napping peacefully without any fuss, After everyone else has gone home, you decide to watch a movie that you've been wanting to see forever, and you make some popcorn, and it smells like popcorn, and you sit down with your sexy spouse, and you hold hands, and you get lost in the movie, and you get lost in each other, and there is no sense of, 
I should be doing something else. And the day just goes on like this until it's time for bed. And at nighttime, you realize something. You feel refreshed. You're not exhausted like normal. When your spouse is talking to you about stuff, it doesn't sound like the grown-ups on Charlie Brown. You, you discover that you are, you're invigorated by, by the conversation. In fact, you feel energized in a deeper way than you can remember, and you realize it was a great day. You, you let go of stress, you let go of all the have-tos, and you did nothing but get-tos, and you think, man, I could use a snow day every week. Here's, here's what I've noticed. Most people are tired. Like, like in their bones. In our culture, we go and go and go and go, and we feel guilty if we ever stop. Like on weekends, we're just as busy. We're still in production mode. Yard work, housework, errands, gotta speed it up, gotta get more done, more work, and then on Monday, it's back to work. And, and, and the, the work goes on day after day, week after week. It's just gotta produce. And in the end, we find ourselves running on fumes, exhausted. It's almost as if the human machine wasn't designed to do this. As if the engine is supposed to be turned off sometimes, and if it, if it isn't, it starts to break down. Now with that in mind, I wanna read some ancient words. And these are words that, that shaped the people of Israel. These words helped set them apart as God's people. And I'm going to read to you uh, one of the Ten Commandments. But before I do that, I want you to know that because of the sacredness and significance of these words, certain communities over the last couple of millennia have practiced a custom that whenever the Ten Commandments would be read publicly, the entire assembly would stand together in reverence. And so, and I know this is very different from Brookview. Some of you are Catholic background. You're like, what's happening? Um, I get that. But I'm going to ask that we do that this morning. We, we stand for the reading of just commandment number four. Here we go. Commandment number four. Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, you can be seated. You guys, let's, let's think hard together about what this is, what this is saying. Th this is God essentially commanding us to take a snow day every week. And just to get how serious about how God was uh, for Israel, about this for Israel, does anyone know the punishment in Israel for violating the Sabbath? Death. Death. I mean, listen to this. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. 
Apparently, God is dead serious about rest and, and getting refreshed. God wants there to be a rhythm to human life. Six days of production, six days of getting her done, and then one day of total refreshing, right? A, a snow day every week. We're, we're in this series, uh, Garden City, and we've been thinking a lot about our work. God wants us to, to, to work hard, to be productive, to, to move the for- world forward. And there is something deeply energizing about accomplishing stuff. But unchecked, accomplishment can actually become an addiction. We can feel constant pressure either from outside ourselves or from inside ourselves to push harder, to work more, so that even when we're not at work, we're not at rest. But this compulsion has a shadow side. I want to read to you the confession of a pastor named Mark Buchanan. Um, Here's what he, he writes. He says, I became a Sabbath keeper the hard way, either that or die. Not die literally, at least I don't think so, but die in other ways. It happened subtly over time, but I noticed at some point that the harder I worked, the less I accomplished. I was often a whirligig of motion. My days were intricately fit fitted together like the game of mousetrap, every piece precariously connected to every other, the whole thing needing to work together for it to work at all. But there was little joy and stunted fruit. To justify myself, I'd tell others I was gripped by a magnificent obsession. I was purpose-driven, I said, or words like that. I may have begun, it may have begun that way, it, it wasn't that way any longer. Often, I was just obsessed, merely driven, no magnificence or purposefulness about it. I once went 40 days, an ominously biblical number, without taking a single day off and was proud of it. But things weren't right. Though my work often consumed me, I was losing my pleasure in it, and for that matter, in many other things besides, and losing to my effectiveness in it. And here's a secret. For all my busyness, I was increasingly slothful. I could while away hours at a time in a masquerade of working, a pantomime of toil, fiddling about on the computer, leafing through old magazines, chatting up people in the hallways, but I was squandering time, not redeeming it. The inmost places suffered most. I grew easily irritable, paranoid, bitter, self-righteous, gloomy. I was often argumentative. I preferred rightness to intimacy. I, I avoided and withdrew. I had a few people I confided in, but few friends. Maybe you can relate a little bit to what he's describing. I know that I can. And what's interesting is is the paradox that he points out of overworking. He writes, I noticed at some point that the harder I worked, the less I accomplished. Like to reach our maximum production, we have to stop sometimes. We have to get rest. We have to get restored. In fact, in in one way, our our bodies force us to do it. It's called what? Sleep. It's called sleep, right? I mean, imagine a person saying, you know what? I I just have too much to do to ever sleep. So sometimes I stay up four, five, six, seven days at a time working. I start with coffee. 
and then I moved to more extreme stuff. By day three, I drink at least one Rockstar, one Monster, and one Red Bull every hour, and when that stops working, I crank the ACDC, and then I have my wife come in and slap me in the face every 15 minutes. And I know it seems extreme, but you don't understand. I just have too much to do to stop and rest. We all know that that is not going to lead to greater productivity over the long haul. Like, you gotta have sleep, you, like every day. And if you don't get it, something starts going haywire and you can't produce and your body starts shutting down. Sleep is so necessary that defied for too long, our bodies will actually force the issue. Sleep eventually hunts down every fugitive. It eventually catches you and it has its way with you. Sleep will force its way in on you, at least to some degree. But the Sabbath doesn't work like that. You can outrun the Sabbath for a long, long time, sometimes without noticeable damage. In fact, for short periods, you can get increased production, right? But over, over time, it, it takes its toll. You can spend most of your life running from the Sabbath and never figure out that this is in part why your work is unsatisfying, why you've lost passion and creativity, why you don't care about all the stuff you used to care about. You can avoid the Sabbath for most of your life and never realize, okay, this is why even my vacations are exhausting. This is, this is why I have headaches all the time. This is why the passion I once felt, like passion for God, passion for causes, passion for people that I love, it's, it's gone cold. Rest and work are designed by God to work together. Uh, John Mark Comer writes, work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn to rest well, you will never learn how to work well, and vice versa. Work and rest are friends, not enemies. They are bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. The Sabbath is a day with no to-do list. It's a day when I don't accomplish anything and I don't feel guilty. No matter how much you love your job or fine-tune your work-life balance, by the end of the week, you're tired. Your fuel cells are empty. But rest refills us with energy, creativity, vision, strength, optimism, buoyancy, clarity, and hope. Rest is life-giving. And yet many of us feel, we feel a compulsion to not rest. We, we feel an impulse to just keep producing. Like even when we have time off from our jobs, it's produce, it's house projects, it's chores, bills, it's a never-ending list. And there's often a delusion that contributes to all of this. It's the delusion that, that I'm God, that the weight of the world depends on me, that unless I push and pull and worry and watch all the time, everything will fall apart. But as a follower of Jesus, there are at least two truths that govern my world. Truth number one, there is a God. And truth number two, I'm not him. And this means ultimately the weight of the world doesn't fall on me. There's a, a song that we sing around here all the time that goes like this. You are here moving in our midst. You are here working in this place. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And maybe this is why God designed the human machine to need sleep. It's interesting. In, in Israel, 
The Sabbath began uh, on Friday night. It began sundown Friday night and then ended sundown Saturday. In other words, get this. The first part of Sabbath was sleep. Now, sleep is a necessity, but it's also a step of faith. When we, when we sleep, we set aside all power and control and consciousness. We direct nothing while we sleep. We are the masters of nothing. In sleep, we become like infants again, utterly vulnerable, completely defenseless, totally dependent. In Psalm 3, David is, is being hunted by many enemies. He's in constant danger, and he cries out. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And yet in verse 5, he declares, I, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. In Psalm 4.8, he writes, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So in part, we can sleep because we know that we rest in the hands of God. In sleep, we give ourselves, regardless of our unfinished business, into God's care. We trust that our Father will look after us. And it's a similar thing in learning to experience Sabbath rest. Because, let's face it, your ultimate list of to-dos is endless. Right? It is, it's endless. And either God is good and in control, or it all depends on you. For David, it wasn't his circumstances that allowed him to rest. It wasn't that he got to the end of the to-do list or he made sure that everything was shored up. He writes this in Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. In, In passages like this, David is training himself and anyone else that will listen to entrust himself to the goodness and sovereignty of God. For David, this isn't just like an intellectual exercise. This is his only hope of survival. Sabbath has always been about rest and restoration, but it's also an exercise of faith. I mean, think about Sabbath if you live in an agricultural society like Israel. I mean, like if it's harvest season, and you take a day off in the middle of that to rest, what happens? I mean, you, you lose essential production, right? It'll, it'll cost you, right? The Sabbath day was a gift to Israel, but it required faith to, to experience it. Because it's like, e- even if we lose a day of productivity, God will, God will give us what we need. He'll provide rain and sun and peace from our enemies. Everything doesn't depend on us. In the end, we recognize our flourishing depends on God. He provides resources, he provides circumstances, he provides health so we can trust him and we can obey him and take a day off guilt-free. Now, deep breath. Ready? What does this look like for followers of Jesus in our world today? I mean, we don't live in a society that completely shuts down every week. Right? To attempt to practice Sabbath is, in a sense, to, to go it alone. I mean, you think about this. They did this as an entire nation. Uh, you know, like, they did it as a whole village or community together. In our world, things are happening seven days a week. The demands and obligations are never-ending. So what, what might a weekly Sabbath look like? 
Let's go back to the words of commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, I want us to think about what this, this actually looks like in real life, because we all live in real life. And I think there's a lot of confusion around this. I think there's a ton of confusion around this. And I would bet that in almost every one of you in the room, there are a thousand yeah buts popping up in your head. And you want to come and punch me in the face right now. So let me just say, what, what's the essence of, of the Sabbath? We're, we're told to keep it holy. What in the world does that mean? Keep it holy. Does it mean that we can only do holy stuff, God stuff, for a whole day? We can only go to church and read the Bible and, and pray. We only do holy things. Is that, is, is that what we do on the Sabbath? Is that it? Or, or does keep it holy mean that we should like really avoid sinning on the Sabbath? Like, you, you know what? You can sin six days of the week, but the seventh day is holy. So take extra care not to sin on the Sabbath. Right? I, I'm pretty sure God wants us to, to avoid sin every day. So that wouldn't really need to be said. And when you envision it, maybe a day of nothing but church or Bible study or prayer, it just doesn't make your pulse race with anticipation. I can take it. That's if you feel that way. Uh, maybe that, that kind of... Uh, that kind of a Sabbath would, would actually feel to you like a big have to. So we need to think deeply about what keep it holy means. Um, the word holy simply means set apart. God is holy because he's set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from sin. Set apart from everything that isn't good and right and beautiful. When it comes to the Sabbath being holy, it's a whole day, the idea is it's a whole day that's set apart. What's being communicated, and this is what I want us to wrap our minds around, what's being communicated is that it's, it's different from other days. The Sabbath day shouldn't look like all the other days. It should be unique, it should be set apart. Should there be worship and, and time with God that's, that's different than maybe how we do it on other days? Yes, sure, that's great. But that's not even what's emphasized in the commandment itself. What's emphasized is ceasing from work. What's emphasized is rest. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so, you guys, the big question for 3,000 years has been, well, what constitutes work? And by Jesus' day, the rabbis had taken this very broad command and they had turned it into hundreds and hundreds of rules. And the rules became so difficult to follow that they became a huge burden to the people. And so, what did Jesus do? Well, to make a point, Jesus kept walking around everywhere intentionally breaking the Sabbath rules. Isn't Jesus awesome? I mean, he was in the synagogue, and, and he dared to heal someone on the Sabbath. And the religious people went nuts. They were like, Jesus, that's working on the Sabbath. In Mark 2, Jesus grabs a handful of grain as he walks through a field. This is the, you know, first century version of, of grabbing a bag of Doritos. 
right? But the Pharisees see him grab grain off, and they're like, Jesus, that's harvesting on the Sabbath. That's working on the Sabbath. What's the matter with you, Rabbi? But he, he, he intentionally does this stuff to make a point. And, and after the grain in the field incident, here's what he says. He says, you guys, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's very simply saying, the Sabbath is God's gift to you because you desperately need it. It's not supposed to be a religious burden, another chore. It should be free and joy-filled. Something that restores and refreshes. Something you, you can't wait to get to. Something you look forward to all week. You, you don't need to put all kinds of rules ar- around it. Like if we structure the Sabbath around a bunch of unnecessary rules, you guys, we ruin it. So here's a definition that I think gets to the heart. What is Sabbath? At its core, it's simply about two parts. Part one, cease from what is necessary. Part two, embrace that which gives life. You guys think about how freeing that is. Uh, Mark Buchanan puts it like this. He said, Sabbath is a complete and total reprieve from what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done. Oughts are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them. They go in the salt mine and you go out dancing. It's the one day when the only thing you must do is not do the things you must. You are given permission, issued a command, to be blunt, to turn your back on all those oughts. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things that your existence genuinely depends on. I need to work niggling in, uh, to my vocabulary a little more. So that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time. You get to shuck the have-tos. So, okay, so all right then, can I or can I not chop wood on the Sabbath? Yeah, daddy. Well, it depends, see. If it's something that I I must do, something I feel obligated to do, then I I won't do that, right? Because that smells like an ought. But maybe I, maybe I chop wood for the sheer exhilaration of it. Maybe it makes me feel alive and manly. Maybe it puts the good kind of ache in my muscles that don't get used as much as they should. Don't amen that part. I mean, like maybe if my job is to sit in front of a computer screen all freaking day, every freaking day of the week, doing something physical is actually extremely restorative. How about mowing the lawn? How about weeding the flower bed? Same deal. Does it smell like an otter? Would it restore me? Okay, how about going to Alderwood Mall and shopping? Never. (laughs) Absolutely never. That is wrong and it's a sin and uh, don't do it. See, you guys, we like to put rules on things that don't need rules. I, I was at a pastor's gathering many years ago, actually, and um, we were having a conversation around this, and the guy leading our discussion is a, like a famous pastor that I, I do, I highly respect. But in this conversation, 
He said, I don't think it's restorative to engage in electronic entertainment on the Sabbath. And I met with a bunch of pastors, and so they all go, mmm, that's good. I don't think it's good restorative to engage in electronic entertainment on the Sabbath. TV, video games, that kind of junk. I think it's better to embrace nature and get outside. Guys are like, mmm, they're writing notes. I'm just like, Okay, listen, I, 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 point taken, I get the point. Like, I, I feel that, and, um, you know, I'm like, getting outside is good, I, I try to do that, but just, so I, but it, it, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so you guys, this is, I, this is what I do in pastor's gatherings, which is why I don't get invited to very many. <laughs> I meekly raised my hand, and I said, um, okay. So it seems like you're saying it would be wrong to watch a Mariners game with my son on TV on the Sabbath on account that it's on TV and all. Would it be okay if we bought tickets and physically went to the game? He was not happy with my question. <laughs> but I, like, I'm like, knock it off, dude. You're, become, you're, you're turning into a Pharisee. And I didn't like this absolute, absolute no electronics rule. It just felt like legalism to me. So guess what? I don't follow his rules. And I do like nature though, right? So I like getting outside and experiencing creation. And, and when it's nice enough, Jen and I will usually go for a, a long, long walk. Or when, um, if the kids are off of school, uh, we'll, we'll go paddle boarding on Silver Lake or get out, do something. We might get out and take a, a ferry ride, you know, like Seattle to Bremerton is one of our jams to just go see creation um, and get ice cream in Bremerton. Are you kidding me? Or we might go for a hike, or we might hang out at a beach, or I might even mow the lawn or do some landscaping. We, we like getting outside. We like nature. We might go as a family to a Mariners game, but I also like, t like baseball on TV, dang it. And I don't know if you know, it's a whole lot cheaper. So here's a really, really important thing. Nothing will suck the life out of your Sabbath experience faster than unnecessary legalistic rules about it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, you guys, I know there are a ton of questions that haven't been addressed so far. Uh, a, a ton of, like, stuff like, well, does the Sabbath have to be on a Sunday? What, what if my schedule at, at work prevents that sometimes? Or... In fact, you know, if Israel practiced the Sabbath on, on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, how come most Christians practice it on Sunday, the first day of the week? And, 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 and like, what if I work a rotating schedule? And, or how, how, does, how does going to church and serving at church and engaging in church activities fit into the whole Sabbath picture? Or here's a big one. If I'm a full-time mom or dad, and my work is to raise small kids every day, how is a Sabbath day any different for me? <laughs> or should I try to spend most of my Sabbath with, with other people or find a quiet place for, for solitude? Or if I take a risk and I watch the Seahawks on the Sabbath and they happen to lose, won't it destroy my soul and waste hours of my time? 
These are important questions. And so this leaves us a lot to talk about next week. Uh, little teaser trailer. I love you guys. Look, next week is going to be extremely practical. You don't want to be at church till 2 p.m. today, do you? No. No, see. <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where the logic kicks in. Next week is going to be about how do you make the most of your, your snow day? Like, practically speaking, what does this look like? How do, you, how do you live this or at least begin stepping toward it? We'll talk about the spiritual components. We'll talk about the being with people versus, you know, doing some of it in solitude. Talk about the importance of just having fun. And I am telling you guys, you don't, it, it's going to be really, really good. Um, but I will also tell you, Sabbath has become a huge part of, of my life. And most of you know that Sabbath isn't, isn't or sun, that Sunday isn't really a down day for Jen and I. Can you envision that? Um, so what day of the week, most of you know, what day of the week do we take off? Monday. Mondays, yes, sir. Um, like every Monday. And we just, we just don't do anything that smells like church on Monday. Um, we don't respond to texts or emails or phone calls, right? We're, we're off. And we do the best that we can to fill our day with stuff that we, that we love. Um, and you guys, I love it. I, I look forward to it every week. Now, I love Sundays too. I love church. I love being with you guys. I love meeting new people. I love worshiping together. But man, oh man, by the end of the week, do I ever look forward to Mondays, our snow days. To total permission to not produce anything. Now, if every day was Monday, my life would feel meaningless really fast. Like, I also very much need Tuesday through Sunday. But I can't tell you guys how much I love Mondays. And Jen and I have had to carve that day out, and we've had to protect it. And it's really easy to just make it another workday, to just fill it with a ton of oughts. And we've done that, and it's God badly for us. But here's the thing, if we let ourselves do that, both of us start to dry up. We feel it real fast, within like a, a week or two, we start losing passion, we lose creativity, we start hating people, we start hating you guys. <laughs> but, but if we protect our snow day, we feel it. It's, it's, uh, here's, it's almost like God knows what he's doing. Um, like a, a Sabbath is essential for human flourishing. You guys, the Sabbath is a gift from God. It is not a burden that he lays upon us. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, John Mark Comer writes, writes about this, and, and I love this. It gets to the heart of it. He writes, lots of people argue that we're free from the Sabbath because it was a part of the Torah or law, as if it was a legalistic rule that we were stuck with until Jesus what a tragic misunderstanding. It is true that we are no longer under the Torah, and it's also true that the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament. But even so, the Sabbath still stands as wisdom. There isn't a command in the New Testament to eat food or drink water or sleep eight hours a night. That's just wisdom. How the Creator set up the human body and the world itself. You can skip the Sabbath. It's not sin. It's just stupid. 
You can eat concrete. It's not sin, it's just dumb. <laughs> At one point, Moses calls the Sabbath a gift. That's exactly what it is. If we see the Sabbath as a burden to try to, try to get out of, we miss the point. And even if you can't just suddenly start practicing this in full, like next week, even if it were to take a lot of planning and thinking and organizing and strategizing, if you, even if you weren't able to do it perfectly, but you just moved toward it, I guess my question would be, why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, the thing is, God is offering a snow day to you every week. It's, it's his gift to you. And you may need it far more than you know. Will you begin to receive it and enter into it and experience it? Are you willing to protect it and guard it and embrace it? And will you let God teach you how to do this? Will you step toward trusting that God's, that God's got you, that despite all of the odd-tos on your list, over the long haul, it can be more productive to spend a day a week on the get-tos? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Father in heaven, as I think about this time of the year and I think about this room and so many people with so many obligations, we need rest, we need restoration, but trying to figure out how to do this is complicated. It's challenging, it can be frustrating, and yet it can also be very, very beautiful and so deeply needed. And so God, I pray that you would teach us together how to do this. I pray that you would help us to move forward in it, even if we're not getting all the way to the, the picture-perfect situation. I pray that you would help us to move forward bit by bit into something that is restful and restorative, a place where our creativity, our energy, our love, our joy can be restored in a rhythmic way. Our families need that. The people around us need it. Our world needs it. And so, God, would you, would you teach us your rhythms of human flourishing, and would you enable us to begin living in them more and more deeply? I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the reality that, that if we're somebody who has never practiced Sabbath, we are loved by you. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we are, um, we're secure. Um, but God, I pray, that you would, I pray that you would help us to see what a gift this is. To never see it as a burden. But to see it as just the opposite of that. That it's something that we can enter into with freedom and joy. And I pray you would help us to do that in, a, in beautiful ways. Amen.